21CL Radio. Hey, happy Monday morning to you. My name is Michael Bull. I'm your host. Thanks so much for joining me today. Great to have everybody around. And thanks for helping us and being part of our building of communities of learners. Today, I've got a little bit different type of podcast. I've got Marilyn Day. She's the chairperson of the Hong Kong Dyslexia Association. When you think of dyslexia, many things may come to your mind. Maybe difficulty in reading, jumbled letters, or the names of famous individuals with dyslexia, such as John Lennon, Richard Branson, a virgin, Jay Leno, and of course Robin Williams, to name just a few. Today, I talk with Marilyn Day. She's a special education teacher and chairperson of the Hong Kong Dyslexia Association. She walks us through what dyslexia is, suggested strategies, and what we have learned in recent years about it. Marilyn is part of the crew helping to bring the Asia-Pacific Dyslexia Conference to Hong Kong on May 21st through the 22nd. For more information, check out their website, discon.org. That's D-Y-S-C-O-N dot O-R-G. Marilyn Day, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. As people, as you may know, and people in the audience may know, I have a child with special needs. While he doesn't, okay. he has autism. He doesn't have dyslexia. My mm-hmm. heart and brain is often in that arena. And today we're going to talk about dyslexia. And just mm-hmm. to start out right away, can you give us a definition, sort of a working definition of what dyslexia really is? Okay, well, I think there are so many different variations of dyslexia that it's probably better just to go with the simpler one. Okay. And that is looking, looking at the word dis, which means a difficulty, and lexia, which means words. So in its, in its simplest form, it's a difficulty with processing of words. And that can come in various levels um, and in various ways. But uh, essentially, that's what dyslexia is. And it, it was originally from a, a Greek word, um, hence the dys and the lexia. Okay, I got that. So as an instructor or as a teacher, when would I start seeing signs of dyslexia? And maybe even more specifically, <laughs> what, what the sort of things should I look for to help me spot these things? Well, I think uh, essentially, if you've got a child that first comes to school, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, clutching their books and all ready and eager to learn. And then as the term goes on, you discover that the actual child has become a little bit more withdrawn, doesn't seem to be wanting to learn as much. It's Mm -hmm. possibly looking at everybody else and following them, um, possibly having a few days absence, you know, with uh, because of the stress and possibly the frustration of, not being able to accomplish what his or her classmates are doing, even though there's every indication that that child is bright. Mm -hmm. So those are the early signs when you first of all see a child that is not performing as well as you had expected. Now, of course, it could be numerous uh, reasons why this is happening. But at least it's a red flag for uh, something. It, it is something. Then the next step would be possibly looking at the child when they are attempting to read or all the pre-reading skills. So, for example, mm-hmm. 
if the child is uh, finds it difficult to rhyme um, or has a difficulty in being able to match a sound to a letter or indeed putting the sounds together. Dyslexia comes in various forms, but I would say a clear indicator would be the difficulties with phonological processing. Okay. So what age is, is you're making it sound like uh, it would be just right in the pre-reading reading stage. Is that like the typical age? I don't know, four or five I, or six? That well, you I see think it? the warning signs would be there. So okay. you, would, you would then possibly talk to the parents um, and as delicately as possible, just sort of see whether or not there's any difficulty in reading in, within the family because they, mm-hmm. there is, there is um, a high percentage of, of children who, you know, it is genetical in, oh. in, in the sense that um, a lot of children who have difficulties with reading and writing, their mum and dad or, or their uncle or their grandmother, somebody in the family may have experienced the same similar difficulties at school. But then these days it would be approached differently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there could be um, a family member realizing that they had those difficulties a lot later on without oh. any, without any diagnosis. All right. I'm wondering if you could take me into, I don't know, the mind of somebody who has dyslexia. And there's probably be somebody who's a little bit older that could articulate it. And I, I mm-hmm. suspect you probably had conversations with people who've had dyslexia sure. in their older years. What yeah. is it like for them? What do they see on when they're reading, when they're trying to comprehend or decode text? Well, I think one of the things is, is it's, it's, it's different for every person. Um, some some may see the actual print on the page differently, but it's more. This is what we used to think. We used to think it's more sort of like in the visual. You know, we mm-hmm. we, we, see, we see B's for D's, um, was for saw, um, on for no, and that the words jump up and down. And, and of course, there are children that do experience that, but it's more the slowness in being able to recall or to fathom mm-hmm. what an actual squiggle on this line says. What's its sound? And then putting those sounds together. That is that is the main difficulty. And I think I would be safe in saying that you can, with anybody, with any reading difficulty, eventually have the the child or the person to read quite well, um, but they would put their hand on their heart and say, I will never, ever be a competent speller. So many of the adults, um, Mm -hmm. when they talked about their problems, you know, they even have that fear, that real fear of when somebody says, right, okay, here's a spelling test, number one, you know, write the word. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's that uh, reflex, that, that memory that's very, very strong. I think it's always the feeling of being behind and just not making sense of something that other people obviously do. You do make sense of it, but it's a lot slower. As you alluded to earlier, you talked about how times are much different now for children mm. than perhaps their yeah. parents. So yeah. what are the strategies now that uh, are common to, to help uh, kids with dyslexia or even adults with dyslexia? Well, I'm, I'm talking from a, a British perspective. And when I first started to hear about it, I was at college. Uh-huh. And I, I, I remember the, the, he was a 
there was a Greek guy, I can't remember his name, but it was then definitely, definitely um, a visual. Visual, it was all about, you know, these people are seeing things differently. The, the jumbled then, letters you talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sort of like in the 80s when more research came along, um, they were finding that the word dyslexia was a, was a lovely word for people, uh, for, for children who perhaps just just couldn't learn well and it wasn't necessarily dyslexia it could have been anything so the the term itself was banded about and so Mm -hmm. when I became an SEN teacher you had to be very very careful about um, using the word dyslexia because it almost seemed as if um, it it was a label for um, perhaps middle class parents Mm -hmm. and then we moved on from that to um, to to a time where we began to find out a lot more about the brain and with the MRI imaging, we could could actually see what what the brains were doing and we realized that different parts of the brain were actually being involved that we we didn't know. So all this was sort of like coming together and then almost when we began to... get it out to the media we realized that a lot of famous people experienced very similar difficulties and then it went through a, a period of being cool to be dyslexic oh, so really? gone are the days where you felt ashamed it was almost like yeah this is uh, <laughs> yeah well i'm dyslexic you know and there was also a period of time when um you could get um, if you went to university and you had a diagnosis well then you had extra time and you had um uh, or technological help and laptops. So it's gone a, a, a real long way and it's going through all its different changes as it should do, really, until we, we find more and more about it. Now, a writer, Malcolm Gladwell, who's pretty popular, right? He, he talks about mm-hmm. dyslexia in entrepreneurs and there's the example of Richard Branson, mm-hmm. the head of Virgin. He's, he's, he's a really famic, yeah. famous dys- yeah. dyslexic. So do yeah. you, there's sort of these theories behind it that the mm. kids will compensate by learning to listen better than the average mm. student can or mm. communicate verbally mm. better instead of writing. Do you see mm. those things actually happening? Is that true? And then it almost yeah. makes you want to say dyslexia is a blessing, not something that's a difficulty. Oh, I think there's undoubtedly uh, room to be said about that, especially for people who just feel so oh, I don't know, frustrated and downhearted about the whole learning process, to know that all these people out there shared the same experiences and, and actually did well is is very encouraging and, and helps enormously for a lot of students. Mm-hmm. But we also do have to say that it doesn't necessarily follow if you've got dyslexia. You are going to be able to think out of the box. You're going to be creative. You're going to um, uh, be very, very successful in a certain way. Right. But, you, but the majority of, 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 no, I wouldn't say majority, I would say a high proportion of students and children with learning issues that are characteristic to dyslexia are very creative. And I think there's a couple of companies, engineering companies that um, employ um, and make it a point to sort of say, well, oh. you're dyslexic, you know, you, you've got a strong chance of an interview here. That so, is really interesting. So it's almost like you want yeah, to have a dinner yeah. party and, and make sure half of the guests have <laughs> dyslexia yeah. so the conversations will be more interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, something like that. But of course, you know, it's a general rule. It's it's not a, it's 
that's it. It's, sure. It's uh, not backed by, it's backed by evidence, but it's not backed by every, there's always a proportion of students that um, have dyslexia and they have lots of other difficulties as well, so... Sure. So you're the chairperson of the Hong Kong Dyslexia Association. So why would you start that? I mean, where was your interest in that? I mean, you were you mentioned that you're an SEN, special education needs yeah. teacher. Why go to this level and why focus specifically on dyslexia? Why not something else or well, whatever? Well, it it always I was always interested in dyslexia right from the beginning, and I seem to recall going to the very first meeting. I wasn't part of it. I didn't engineer it. I didn't um, start it. It was started like it should be by a parent, a parent of a child who had learning issues, I think had a diagnosis of dyslexia, probably did have a diagnosis of dyslexia, uh-huh. and just felt he needed, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a father, he needed support. And he wanted to join together with like-minded um, parents and so I, and this is in the 90s, this is in 1995, mm-hmm. and I found myself in the hall, um, part of this quite large group in a school hall. And there was a few talks, there was a, a guest speaker, and, and then suddenly it took off. One parent stood up, then another, and then another. And the, ge- the general theme was that their child was not being supported at school. And, you know, it was in an international setting where, um, you know, there, were, there was provision, but perhaps not enough provision because there wasn't enough professional development for teachers of them. And we didn't know as much about dyslexia. Mm-hmm. So there was a whole band of very disgruntled parents. And I remember sort of like sinking down into my chair because it was a real sort of, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't exactly teacher bashing, but it was, uh-huh. they weren't happy. Um, and it, I think I think they just felt so good to sort of let it off their off their chest, and so I became involved with um, the committee, and we started to bring in people um, every month just to talk, and and then we 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 ran workshops and um, spoke to schools and and supported the parents, and this was all done in the evenings and and at weekend as well because most of the committee members still do they they, they have full-time jobs so it's it's working around so, so they, well. they do it just for fun in their free time yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah now, now you guys are taking to the next another level though you're uh, yeah. now put together the asia pacific dyslexia yeah. conference uh, why that uh, you're just looking you're interested in maybe in reaching into a wider network a wider group of people yeah and also if you look at the um conference title it's it's developing diverse minds and i think we're we're very mindful that it's just going so we're just learning so much about the way that we learn and about way that we think and we're also questioning labels what do these Mm -hmm. labels mean why do we need a label and it's interesting because some parents don't want to use the label and some parents want to use a label, and it's usually child-led. So if the child feels better by, you know, finally, it's not my fault. I have this name that means I, I, I do this like millions of other people, and like mm-hmm. very successful people, and that makes me feel good. 
to other children that are mortified that they're different from anybody else. So the, the parent time tends to sort of lead how the child feels and whether or not it's going to be good to 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 talk about dyslexia, to um, unpack it, to read stories about it, to be an advocate for it, and mm-hmm. for themselves. So it's ve- it's it's case by case, I think, because each child is different. Here's a final question. Do we still have a lot more to learn about dyslexia, or do you feel like we're at the point where we know a lot and it's just time to implement strategies? I think where you did mention, uh, ask me a question about strategies and, and in the classroom. Well, uh-huh. I think we tend to go quite holistically. So in our classrooms, that there has to be a program. If you are a child that finds it very difficult to read, they're not going to pick it up by osmosis. They have to be taught explicitly how to decode. Okay. But that doesn't necessarily have to be in the classroom. Um, but in the classroom, you, there's tons of things that you can do to make a child who has a reading difficulties an easier life for okay. them, an easier way of learning. Fantastic. Well, I've been speaking with Marilyn Day. She's the chairperson of the Hong Kong Dyslexia Association. Marilyn, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you for inviting me. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com. <laughs>